We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into Henry's Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Tonight on the show, I'll visit with O-State Illustrated's Jeff Johnson about Saturday's Ole Miss-Oklahoma State basketball game. Former OSU quarterback Spencer Sanders, and a little bit about Cowboys baseball as well. Uh, then speaking of baseball, Chase Parham spends about an hour with Joe Healy of D1Baseball.com to give you an SEC baseball primer. They go around the league, discuss the teams, also weigh in on some big-picture topics with the sport and the conference. Joe is one of the leaders of D1Baseball.com's SEC coverage expansion, which is called SEC Extra. Hand Raised Guys is presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Different names, but same great products, same great services. If you live in Oxford, Batesville, or the surrounding area, call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or the surrounding area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. This will, of course, be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford. They've been sponsoring this podcast for going on 10 years now. Stop by on your way in or out of Oxford. Uh, always clean, always great place to fill up, both your vehicle and yourself. Always uh, check out the ribs as well. we got uh, Championship Sunday in the NFL. Stop by, get some ribs, both dry and wet. Make that a part of your uh, Championship Sunday, the NFC Championship game. 2 p.m., the Niners and the Eagles on Fox then the AFC Championship game, the Bengals and the Chiefs from Kansas City, 5.30 on CBS. So a perfect day to enjoy some ribs from the Oxford Exxon. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. 662-257-1900 is the number to call. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. Or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. The people at Clark Ford want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. Again, 662-257-1900. Jeff Johnson, Joe Healy, all guests join on the MyPerfectFranchise.net hotline. 
Are you a displaced corporate executive wanting to put your career in your own hands? Maybe you are an experienced entrepreneur just wanting to diversify. Either way, Andy Ludeke can help. He's a longtime Rivals board member, a diehard college football fan, a franchise veteran. He owns multiple franchises and businesses. He uses his expertise to help others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. So call Andy. Put your life and your career in your own hands. It's 100% free. Got nothing to lose. Find your perfect franchise at myperfectfranchise.net. Call Andy at any time um, at 404-973-9901 or send him an email, andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Now, here's my interview with ostateillustrated.com's Jeff Johnson. My colleague Jeff Johnson covers Oklahoma State for OStateIllustrated.com. It's part of the Rivals.com network. Jeff, really appreciate you uh, coming on, spending a few minutes with us. You bet, Neil. All right, we'll, we'll touch on basketball real quick. I want to get into Spencer Sanders because you've covered a lot of Spencer Sanders. You can tell us what happened, what went wrong, what went right with Spencer Sanders at, at OSU. Real quick, we'll touch on basketball. Ole Miss is 1-7 in the SEC. It's... It certainly appears we're headed towards an off-season of change, but they go to Stillwater on Saturday night. I think the game's on ESPN2 or ESPNU or one of the ESPNs. One of those, yeah. If you want to find it, you can. It's obviously a non-story here at this point. How how big of a story is O-State basketball right now? The Big 12 looks loaded. The Big 12 is loaded, and, and that has made Mike Boynton's life that much more difficult. Uh, Boynton is a fantastic guy. He's just a great human being, um, fantastic recruiter. What type of coach he is, I, I think, still very much up as a question. Uh, he's pretty good assembler of talent. This particular team, if he had a point guard and had a guy that could really shoot the three, they'd be really, really dangerous. Uh, as it stands now, they play really good defense. Um, you know, they, they protect the rim extremely well and can play well offensively in spurts. Uh, they are kind of a dangerous team as far as that goes, but it's not a consistent dangerous type team at all. So they're real up and down and you never really know what you're going to get from, from game to game. I'm curious, I'm going to throw you a quick little curveball here that I didn't discuss with you previously, but I'm thinking about it now. Big 12 basketball, obviously Texas just went through the change with Chris Beard. Mm-hmm. Chris Beard's name is going to pop up everywhere because he obviously is a terrific basketball coach. He really so, is separating that from yeah. his personal life. What do you hear in big 12 circles about Beard's hireability this off season? Right now in the big 12, I'd, I'd say it's pretty well close to zero. Now uh, I think as time goes on more, more and more, it's going to emerge from that whole situation. And not that his, he's going to come out of that deal clean by any any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, it, it takes two to tango a lot of times in those situations based on what we've heard. You know, uh, if we hadn't heard more details, I, I, I'd be real hesitant to say that. But in the end, it, it may come out that yeah, both both people were kind of at fault and it, it went a bad direction and, you know, the man's usually going to be the one that goes to jail in that situation. Um, so maybe his hireability comes up quite a bit. Um, certainly, he's a fantastic uh, basketball coach. And we've seen examples within the Big 12 
uh, I guess more on the football side, Art Bryles, that type of guy is eventually going to get get another shot. Uh, you know, the guy that can really coach. He's able to re- redeem himself, uh, his, his reputation a little bit. You know, somebody's going to hire him and, and give him a shot and hope that there's no no additional issues. And I, I would I would guess in Beard's case, I don't know him personally, but uh, would guess that that's not going to be an ongoing problem. Interesting. All right, let's talk about Spencer Sanders. Um, I'll be honest. I with the first time I heard Spencer Sanders to Ole Miss was yeah, as a month, at least a month ago, maybe a little more, and I dismissed it in my mind. I was like, that ah, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Ole Miss has Jackson Dart. He just he just played. Yeah, it didn't a, make a lot of sense from when I was there in it either. Yeah. So you know, and then it kept gaining steam, and and at one point I don't remember exactly when someone said, yeah, it's real, and then it got really real, and he's committed. Uh, he is getting the technicalities here. He is admitted, but not yet enrolled. They're trying to work out some academic things. It's my understanding he's in Oxford. I think he's gone through workouts, but he's got to get enrolled before he can go through spring practice, which isn't until late March. Right. There's there's some time there. Let's start here with, here's a guy that played a ton of games at Oklahoma State. Played in some really big games as Oklahoma State's quarterback was at least in my eyes, and look, I'm not a guy who, I cover the SEC, Oklahoma State's not in the SEC. I don't follow them closely. But if you told me in September, say, Oklahoma State, face of the program, I would have said, well, it's Mike Gundy and Spencer Sanders. Yep. How did did they get to this place where Spencer Sanders, who still had time eligibility left, how did he get to a place where the, the two sides parted ways? That's the big question on the Oklahoma State side of it. Uh, certainly, I've heard some of that. Um, you know, there there are internal things with the team that that even guys like you and me aren't really privy to that, that go down. But you can you can kind of see even just as a casual fan, something went down during the course of the season. Uh, you know, you had a big lead on, or not a big lead, but a lead on TCU, and quite frankly, should have won that game. Uh, give it up. They, they win at the end, and then you turn around and go to Kansas State and lay the biggest egg, the single biggest egg of Mike Gundy's career. I forget the, the final on that, but it was something like 45 to nothing. And from that point forward, it was a completely different team. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about a team that they, they pull off that win with TCU over TCU. They're sitting at 6-0, and um, you know, with arguably the toughest part of their schedule behind them. And then proceed to to look pretty bad all the rest of the way through the season. Uh, Sanders was dinged up in that TCU game, and uh, you know that affected his play the rest of the season, his ability to play in the first place. Uh, and then when he did play, how well he was able to play. And you know, as far as Spencer Sanders' career at Oklahoma State has gone, that's always been a big factor. He's he's been dinged up, if not outright injured. Uh, pretty much every year, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a fragility issue. The guy's a pretty tough, tough kid, tough player. Um, he plays a tough brand of football, and that leads to to injuries, you know, as time goes on. Uh, he's got a little bit of a unique uh, throwing motion, which has caused him some shoulder issues in the past. I think that was a play a little bit this year. You know, Mike Gundy is one of those guys at this point that, 
gives basically no injury information whatsoever. Uh, you know, if a guy volunteers it on his own, that's that's about all we're going to get. But have heard that shoulder shoulder issues were part of part of uh, Spencer's injuries issues this year. Um, but anyway, circling back to to something changed within that team the locker room, the dynamic there, uh, and, and Spencer being the fifth year quarterback, um, you know, his fourth year as a starter. Was, was certainly right in the mix of that. To what degree any blame falls on him, I don't really know. You talked about him as a player. Let's dive into a little bit more there. What kind of a player is he? I mean, I, again, when I watched, I was like, okay, this is this kind of a multi-talented athletic kid who who's, doesn't have an elite arm, doesn't have elite wheels, but is good at both, is, is kind of multi-functional. Multi like you said, he gets, he, he gets banged up. A lot of quarterbacks do when you – there's a reason NFL teams put so much focus on the quarterback not getting hit. You know, yep. you want your quarterback healthy. Uh, the, the the Gundy offense uses the quarterback as a runner some in, in much the same way as the Kiffin offense. Um, when he's healthy, how good of a player is he? And, um, you know, what kind of a yeah, – just give us a breakdown on what kind of quarterback he is. He's a little bit of a throwback to a former OSU quarterback. You probably remember Zach Robinson. The kid, kid was pretty good. Zach would tell you outright, he didn't feel like he was in a game until he got hit one time pretty good. And I, I don't recall Spencer ever saying that, but he plays that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that he, he didn't, it, it, and again, in Zach's words, he didn't feel like the game was really going and he was really on point until he took that first shot. And then he was good to go from that point forward. Spencer has always played that way. Um, you know, I don't know. I've ever heard him vocalize it exactly that way, but just watching him play, that's, that's the type of player he is. Um, you nailed it. Uh, good arm, good wheels, not great at either. I think he actually has pretty great vision. Um, you know, that that's what allowed him to be a real threat in the run game, despite not, not necessarily having the best wheels and playing behind some offensive lines the last couple of years that were really not very good, uh, either at pass protection or, or in the run game. And he was still a threat. And I think it had a, as much to do with vision and toughness as it did his wheels necessarily. Uh, were you surprised, Jeff, when he got in the portal? Yes, somewhat. And I, I can tell you Oklahoma State was surprised because, uh, you know, a week prior to this, prior to him entering the portal, they had set him down with the collective, uh, talk about NIL deal. There was agreement on both sides. He said, yeah, I'm good. I'm good to play in the bowl game. And then I, I think it was less than a week later, he's in the portal, which surprised everybody at Oklahoma State. Um, now, You've talked Spencer. You may get a, a different side of the story on that, but that's that's what I've heard from the Oklahoma State perspective. Of we we thought he was back for the bowl game and back for next year, and then looked up and hey, he's in the portal. So had to had to take off him and run with it from there. The other important thing to note uh, on Sanders' game on the field is he's definitely been injury prone. You know, I, I mentioned that before, and then turnover prone. Uh, and towards the end of his career, maybe the last two years, less turnover prone than he had been. Uh, you know, the first couple of seasons as, as a starter, he was good for a couple of turnovers a game, either interception or fumble or both, or maybe multiples of both. Uh, the last two seasons, he tended to be more of a guy who protected the ball pretty well, 
most games, but then would have a, a really bad game here or there. Um, thinking back to the 2021 season, Big 12 championship game with Baylor. So they played twice, obviously, that year. I think he had seven total turnovers in those two games. And obviously, Oklahoma State lost the, the Big 12 title game, had a chance to win it, had seven tries from inside the five to, to win that game, didn't get it done. Um, the regular season game, I, he had four turnovers in that game. They still managed to win. Uh, but it, it's always a factor when when you you're looking at Sanders in his game is he is prone to turn, turn over the, turn over the football. I think it's a little bit of the riverboat gambler type mentality that makes him a really good runner is he's going to take some chances and, and that's both both running the football and trying to trying to fit fit a ball in in a small window in the passing game and sometimes it, it bites him and they tend to snowball a little bit. It's what's so interesting about the fit with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. If you listen to insiders talk, talk at Ole Miss, Kiffin's frustration with Jackson Dart has been decision making. Um, you know, and 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 he wasn't a turnover machine. Had some turnover games, and those turnovers always frustrated Kiffin. He would make comments about them, you know, about decision making. Right. And in many ways, Dart and Sanders often sound like the same guy in terms of as a quarterback. Yep. There's a lot of similarities between the two of them. When he got in the portal, his look, his academics are complicated. Um, did you hear specific teams early? How, how many, how many, how much choice did he have when he decided he wasn't going to stay at Oklahoma state? I think it wound up being a whole lot less choices than he thought he had. You know, I, I don't know, Neil, how much you've, you've dealt with NIL and, and the collective or collectives there at Ole Miss. Um, I've had a chance to, to talk talk with one former player who's pretty pretty involved in Oklahoma State's collective. Um, the effect of agents on these guys that are getting in the portal as it relates to NIL uh, can't really be understated. Um, yeah. Family members are, are the other one. You know, if they don't have an agent, they've got a family member or a friend of the family that's advising them. And a lot of guys are here and you can get so much more here or there. And, and in some cases, that's true, I guess. But yeah. a lot of these cases, they're getting in the portal and finding out, way. I just left a way better deal at home than I, I'm finding in the portal at all. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Colin Oliver, who's a, a defense, defensive end, rush, uh, quarterback rush specialist, Oklahoma State, had, had a freshman All-America type year, not quite as good as sophomore year. He's represented by one of the handful of agents that you say this guy's name and everybody knows who he is. That guy told him when he was kicking around, maybe entering the portal and, and seeing what was out there, he said, don't. You know, you're insane. Your value is higher in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Than it's going to be anywhere else in the country. You know why? Why would you walk away from where you actually have name recognition into a place where you don't? So, but anyway, to some degree, that occurred with Spencer. You know whether that was an agent, family member, friends, whatever. Um, hey, yeah, Oklahoma State made you a pretty pretty awesome offer through the collective, uh, but you could do better. And I think that's influencing guys all across the country and, and way too many of them are getting in the portal and finding out, yeah, that wasn't really true. What's interesting here is obviously Jackson Dart started 
12 of 13 games. Um, he comes back as the incumbent. He believes it's his team. He believes it's his locker room. They go out and get Walker Howard out of the uh, out of the portal, but Walker's got a full four years of eligibility remaining. Right. And, you know, so Walker is is just wants to be able to compete for the job, make sure he gets at least number two snaps so that he can get going. You bring in Sanders, and it just stands to reason that if Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders are both on the roster in September, someone's not happy. Knowing right. what you know of Spencer Sanders, would he have transferred to a place like Ole Miss without not the promise of starting? Cause I don't think anybody gives a promise, but without at least feeling like, Hey, I'm going to be the starting quarterback. No, I don't think he would have, but there is a, but there, and that, but would be if he had no other real legitimate, um, other opportunities, you know, coming back to Oklahoma state at one point, I think that was on the table. Uh, Spencer has has said via Twitter, you know, just some comments that he never asked asked to come back to Oklahoma State. Everybody I've talked to on the Oklahoma State said, in says, well, no, that's actually not true. He, he did twice. Um, but wherever the truth lies in, in that story, and it's always typically, as we know, somewhere in the middle. Uh, at the at the end of it, I don't think Oklahoma State would have taken him back for for anything, and I don't think Spencer would have come back to Oklahoma State for anything. Why? By the time it got to you know Ole Miss being a serious candidate and all that, uh, I think it was just the situation where everybody looked at it at it and said, you know what, it, a new start's best for everybody in this deal. So we're we're just both going to go our separate ways, and you know hopefully down the road uh spencer could show back up in stillwater and people celebrate the, the great career he did have at oklahoma state but it ended messy i think we i said that in a text message to you a couple of weeks ago yeah. it was a messy end and at the end of the day um for both sides i think it was best to move on i think pertinent to your question though Yes, I would expect that, that Spencer's coming in expecting to either be the guy or have a full-on, full-out, you know, uh, quarterback battle, classic quarterback battle that you don't see all that often anymore. Um, either that or he just really didn't have any other be better options. A quick reminder that Morgan Wallen is bringing his one night at a time tour to Bald Hemingway Stadium. That's April 22nd and April 23rd. Tickets for both nights still available. Start at just $78. To purchase those, you can visit morganwallen.com. The podcast also brought to you by the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. Remember your national champion baseball team back for another exciting year of Ole Miss baseball. Show your support for their efforts on the field this season by signing up for the Pledge Per Win and Pledge Per Home Run campaigns. Donations are charged every Monday. They're allocated into your blue priority point total and are up to 90% tax deductible. So sign up today. Give to athletics.com slash donate or call the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation at 662-915-7159. Podcast also brought to you by Prime Shrimp. PrimeShrimp.com, seven different flavors available for you. You can get everything from their newest option, the New Orleans-style barbecue. It is my new favorite. The signature is a favorite as well. Very versatile options. The full meals in a bag, the garlic herb butter, the French Quarter Alfredo, or the Simply Shrimp. So you can season yourself for those with a few more discerning of a palate. But either way, you get it shipped directly to your door and in fewer than 10 minutes, freezer to plate with Prime Shrimp. Use code MPW for $20 off your first order. Again, PrimeShrimp.com. 
We've been telling you the last few days, it is king cake season with Johnston Hill Creamery, johnstonhillcreamery.com. Let them help you out with a king cake from now. All you need is 24 hours notice. You call up. They've got some new flavors. They've got their uh, their cheesecake flavor, which was a huge hit, the pecan praline, the new blueberry cheesecake, all the different options there at Johnston Hill Creamery, all their cheeses locally and in-house every day. Order right online. Go to their Instagram page, johnstonhillcreamery.com. Com. Podcast also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area and they offer MedSync to be your prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you. One trip to the pharmacy, one delivery, and you have everything you need when you need it with G&M. You can also transfer those medications. You can do that easily. You make one phone call, they take care of the rest. G&M, Tyson Drugs, 662-236-2222. If he is not the guy, you've been around this guy for a while. He strikes me as the alpha male type. There's yep. no lack of confidence on his part that I can tell. If he's not the guy and he's not even getting a lot of number two snaps because Walker Howard's getting those, what kind of uh, influence do you see him having on a locker room? Is he the guy that would be a veteran leader or is he the guy that could become pretty disgruntled publicly? I could definitely see it going going the ladder, um, not being happy. Now that may not necessarily turn into a, a disgruntled, um, you know, face of the program. It could turn more into seeing how things go in spring if he's able to go through spring. Which you know, as right. you hit on, you know more about where he stands on that than I do. Um, but goes through spring and is looking like the number two guy. I could see him hitting the portal again. Any chance at all? Academics. Yeah. Any chance at all? I'm curious here. Mike Gundy's got to go through the spring too, right? And so he's gonna. And I, before people get mad, I'm just I'm just exploring this option. I think in the end, it's likely, knowing what I know about college football, and you probably will agree with this, Jeff, that there are some hurdles, but usually schools find a way to jump the hurdles. They they they, they get them jumped, and he'll go through spring. And once he does that, I don't even know how the whole portal thing works. Is there any scenario where in the event that he couldn't get cleared to go through spring, Mike Gundy looks at his quarterback situation in April and says, you know what, I'm going to have to swallow some ego here? Yeah, yeah there there are scenarios. Uh, you know, Alan Bowman, formerly a Texas Tech, but most recently Michigan, who where he was a third stringer, um, but also has done some really impressive things in, in the Big 12 uh, as a young guy, especially. He tore Oklahoma State up a, a couple of different times, but he comes in and that just doesn't work or more more to the point, I guess, that he, he gets hurt. Let's, let's say, you know, he blows out his shoulder. That's a scenario where I think Mike Gundy would at least have to look at it, but I don't think he would do it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's an ego thing. I, I think it's why Sanders worked so well for him as a quarterback. Cause that that's the guy Mike Gundy was as a quarterback in, in a lot of respects. I see a lot of similarities there and I see ego getting in the way of probably both sides in that scenario. Uh, you know, we never say never by any means, but I, like I said before, I think it really came down to, both sides looking at it and saying, you know what, it, it's just best to to make this split, rip the Band-Aid off, and, and go our separate ways. And I, I don't see either side, honestly, trying to come back on that. 
I, I went negative with one question, so I'll go. I'll go the complete opposite here as we complete this conversation. In a scenario where he comes in and wins the job, gets eligible, wins the job, you've seen Spencer Sanders take Oklahoma State to some pretty lofty places. Absolutely. Um, when he's healthy and he's the guy, what kind of a leader is he? Because again, he strikes me from my time watching him as this guy that immensely confident, a ton of swagger, makes plays. When he's on top of his game, when he's the guy, what's the ceiling for him? I'd say there really is not isn't a major ceiling. Um, you know, <laughs> don't want to go there because we don't even know if he's going to be the guy. But he puts it all together, stays healthy, which, uh, as we talked about, is a re real key, and leads Ole Miss to to really high heights next year. Heisman's not out of the question. He's that type of player. I mean, he's got that type of skill. Um, Leadership-wise, when things are going well, he's really, really good. Uh, this year was the first year that we really got a glimpse after he was that experienced guy. You know, uh, he, he struggled. The team struggled at times as freshman and sophomore, redshirt freshman and sophomore seasons. Um, but he wasn't that guy necessarily. I mean, he was yeah. QB one, but not the not the older guy. So out of the last two years. 2022 was the first year we saw, and, and quite honestly, for him personally and, and as a team, the struggle was bigger this year than at any point in his career, even when he was a young guy and not necessarily the, the alpha leader. Um, I don't think he particularly handled handled adversity well this year, um, but I think a lot of that falls on, on coaching and guys around him as well. It's not definitely not 100% Spencer Sanders still there. You know, there, there was a lot that went wrong for Oklahoma State as QB1. You know, as we both know, that guy, other than the head coach, probably has has more face time and therefore shoulders more blame and more credit. You know, when things are going well, maybe more credit than they should. But that's the way it is in big-time college football anymore. Things have changed a lot in big-time college football. Gundy has been the face of OSU for, I don't know, two decades, it feels like. is the... okay. We're getting real close, 18 years. Is he getting to the place where, hey, it's been awesome, but you're going to have to prove it again? Or or is he basically have a lifetime contract there? It's getting towards that point of, you know, and that's the thing. It's tough if you're Gundy's boss, who, who's new at the job, by the way, uh, to say, well, you had a down year this year, still went to a bowl for the 17th year in a row, um, but you're on on a hot seat here. That being said, the portal exodus, uh, I think at last count, Oklahoma State had 18 guys that went went in the early period, uh, and I think 16 of those were scholarship guys, uh, along with several, several current or projected starters next season. Uh, that caught the attention of, you know, the, his bosses at Oklahoma State, the Board of Regents. So there's probably more pressure there than there's been on Mike Gunning quite some time. You know, uh, you go to 17 bowls in a row as the school who had a, a very long bowl drought for a number of years. Uh, you know, the 1988 uh, Barry Sanders Heisman campaign, they didn't go to another one until 97. So and, and then there was another four, five, six year gap there. Um, that means a lot at Oklahoma State to, to put together, you know, and not just 
a bull streak, but there's there's been a number of double-digit wins seasons in there as well. So one bad half of a season, I don't think puts him on a red-hot seat by any means, but um, the transfer portal and NIL have changed things. And I, I think everybody with who touches college football in any way, and that, that's an athletic director, a president of a university, says, whoa, the game has changed. We need to be on top of this. And, you know, I, I think that all factors in and, and ratchets everything up for everybody all, all across the country, really. Last thing, uh, Chase Parham and Joe Healy are about to talk for an hour plus on college uh, baseball at the end of this interview on this show. So I'll ask you about Oklahoma State. They had a hell of a season last year, hosted a regional, a regional that ended up being probably one of the more entertaining ones with uh, Oklahoma State and right. Arkansas at the end. A lot of SEC talk, obviously, going into the uh, the college baseball season, as is expected and, and is appropriate given the results. But Oklahoma State's one of those teams outside of the SEC that is talked about as a contender. Um, how, how good is this Cowboys team going to be? You know, rankings are starting to come out. In fact, I think pretty much all of them – oh, we've got a dog barking there. All of them uh, – Preseason wise, have come out. Oklahoma State's been any anywhere from nine to eighteen, I think. I think that's probably about right, kind of that range, um, and maybe not at the high or the low end of it, kind of in between. Um, they've added some pieces. Um, pitcher out of Long Beach that his name is, is slipping my mind, but he was picked yesterday as the Big Twelve Newcomer of the Year and Pitcher of the Year by the coaches. Um, you got Nolan McClain coming back, two-way guy, uh, turned down his first pick of the third round last year, turned down the money and, and to come back. You have to think he thinks he's going to improve his stock both ways. Uh, a lot of returners off that team last year have added a few key, key pieces, and you know they, they should be one of the better teams in the country. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun when college baseball rolls around. It's obviously a huge deal here. People follow a lot of it. It so. is. Uh, you know, the, the Big 12 basketball and SEC baseball are, are carry a lot of parallels, I think, you know, just because there there's no day off in the SEC. And, and Big 12 baseball is pretty salty as well, but it, it's probably not at the same level top to bottom as, as SEC. And certainly, you know, I, I can tell you from having been – yeah, you know, my son played travel baseball for years, been over at Baum, seen some of those crowds at, at Arkansas. The Big 12 still got a lot of work to do as, as far as game day atmosphere and, and pulling crowds. And, you know, I think Oklahoma State took a big step with the, the, the stadium they built here recently. It's it's as nice as any place in the country. And, and you just need the play on the field to go with it. And Josh Holiday has been pretty good. Um you know, so it, they're still working on that SEC crowd and atmosphere type thing in the Big 12. And, you know, Oklahoma State's maybe leading the way there. Jeff, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. You bet, Neil. Again, our thanks to uh, Jeff Johnson for his time our earlier today on the show. We'll shift gears. We talked baseball there at the end. A lot of baseball coming your way. Ole Miss baseball. Still a few weeks away, but uh, that didn't stop Chase Parham from getting Joe Healy of D1Baseball.com on the line. And they talk uh, for a little bit more than an hour about Ole Miss baseball, SEC baseball, 
and uh, more. If you like college baseball, you will love the following conversation with Chase and Joe Healy of D1Baseball.com. D1Baseball.com. I guess I should say SEC Extra now as well. Joe Healy joining us here on the podcast. Joe, glad to have you. First time uh, here on the show. We're talking a bit of SEC baseball today. Obviously, some, some old mess with our fan base as it is from an emphasis on that. But how's it been at D1 so far? And then tell me a little bit about the, the SEC Extra. I was talking about it on our podcast a few days ago, our main show, that, you know, as the NIL gets going, and I'll get into all this, but as everything kind of trends, it does look like, you know, what was the, the number one conference in baseball anyway is only getting stronger, whether it be from expansion to all the ways that resources are going in. I mean, it seems like it's not necessarily a coincidence you guys are, are throwing that out right now. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate you having me on. Happy to happy to do it. Uh, always a fan of the stuff that, that, that you do. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's just really no no better time for, for D1 baseball to jump into a project like this for all the reasons you just laid out. And it's been great working with these guys. Kendall and Aaron have been friends of mine for a long, long time, even going back before I was working at, at Baseball America before this, you know, it's just, you, you, you go around college baseball enough. You just run into those guys. I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, you know, and so um, it was great. They, they, there was a fit for me and, and it felt a little like coming home just cause I, you know, I love, love this sport and it uh, love being in a place where college baseball is, is the be all end all. And so that's just been a really, I've been here for, what are we looking at now? Four months. Um, okay. And so, you know, it's uh, got my feet are fully wet now. <laughs> We're knee deep in preview stuff. So um excited about all that. But yeah, I mean, it's SEC Extra is really just a project. Me and Mark Etheridge and the, the old heads in the group who've been following college baseball for 20 plus years at this point, probably remember Mark from his old sebaseball.com site, which mm -hmm. is how I kind of got uh, interested in SEC baseball and learned about SEC baseball. So I'm super excited. I, I try not to remind Mark too often that I read that site when I was in middle school and high school. Because I don't think he appreciates that a lot, but um, but that's the truth of it. Uh, that's kind of got me into SEC baseball, so it's it's cool to do this project with him. And and the idea is just kind of to um, be a service to fans in the in, in uh, of this conference that, for all the reasons you laid out, is is the undoubtedly the best in like pick your metric, and it is mm -hmm. not only the best in college baseball, but is running away from the field. Um, you know, you and I could do an hour on just all the different reasons that is and the metrics that, that show that and, and all that kind of stuff. And we just want to serve those fans um, because they, uh, just from a business standpoint, they've served D1 baseball well, you know, mm -hmm. that they're fans of D1 baseball and fans of, of what we do. And, and there were a lot of stories, frankly, in the SEC that just weren't getting told because Kendall and Aaron and even the, some of their, their other guys they have on staff are just only so many people, right? And so I think to speak directly to your listeners, Last year's Ole Miss story, I think, is a great example, and I, I've said this on other radio shows and podcasts this offseason, that, you know, last year there was a lot of focus, understandably so, on, on Tennessee, right? And then there was a lot of focus on A&M, and everybody was so surprised to see that, and a little bit of focus on Arkansas because the team was good, but they had RPI problems, and and Ole Miss was kind of this sideshow for a while because the, the record was what it was, and then they started mm -hmm. kind of making their run, and it felt like everyone just kind of agreed like, well, we'll wait and see what happens in the postseason. Cause that's if they make it great, then we'll, then we'll start talking about it, but they're mm -hmm. probably not going to make it right. So whatever. So there just wasn't a lot of attention paid to how they were doing it. You know, why they were, you know, just the, the how and the why behind it with a site like SEC extra, we're going to be all over a story like that. Right. So that's kind of the idea here is like, look, D one baseball is still going to continue to cover 
everything SEC baseball. But with Mark and I, what we're doing is to try to dig a little bit deeper. And instead of it being a mile wide and an inch deep, we're going to try to go a mile wide and a mile deep. And, and we'll see. You know, we're going to do some things that I think are going to really work. I think we're going to do some things that aren't going to work. That's just kind of sure. what happens when you're launching a business. But we're really excited about it. What got you into college baseball? Why, why, why that? I mean, you know, there's a there's a small but dedicated crew of us that's been doing this for a really long time. I mean, I I, I just covered Ole Miss, but I, thought, I guess this is season 18 now for me. Um, now when I'm doing the math in my head, which it's kind of startling now that I'm doing that. I kind of hate that I just uh, <laughs> that, that I just did that. But yeah, that's what I did. But you know, what, you, you mentioned Kendall and Aaron and whatnot. But what uh, what what got you into it? Why, why college baseball? Two two really good examples of life in a large part being about time and place. Uh, I grew up in Houston, came of age in the late 90s and early 2000s, and had several members of my family graduate from Rice University. <laughs> and, you know, anybody who knows anything about college baseball knows that like Rice is a school that's historically awful at most of the other major sports and just they hired Wayne Graham and then the baseball program just took off like a rocket. And so for me, uh, growing up in a place where you had to choose between the Aggies and Longhorns and me being a little bit of a counterintuitive guy and kind of that guy who was a little bit of a, you know, I tended to go against the grain as a kid. I was never a fan of the teams that my friends were, right? Like I always kind of went in a different direction. I latched onto Rice as a kid and it helped that I had family to, so I could go into the games was easy and all that stuff. So that was that was item number one. And then item number two was I, I went to college at Sam Houston, which is a really good mid-major college baseball program david pierce the coach at texas now was the head coach there like right as i was graduating and um so i spent a lot of afternoons you know they'd, they'd play these like 4 p.m tuesday midweek games and i'd walk straight from class to go sit there and i'd you know study or pretend like i was going to study and not study at the ball game and just kind of sit out there and, and watch baseball mm -hmm. and um you know enjoy that and then and then go back to the apartment for the night you know it was just something i it was part of my routine and it helped that the program was good and so had I gone to college somewhere else, maybe I would have lost that passion, but having gone there kind of allowed me to continue to, to dive deep into the, into the sport. Two things there, Sam Houston finished second in the Oxford regional in 07. So I watched them play uh, in the final there well. when, when, when Ole Miss ended up, they almost blew out the finals, but and ended up losing to Arizona state out in Tempe uh, in the next week of the super regional. But yes, Sam Houston, I guess with David Pierce, now that you say that, I didn't really, um, no, 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 it was it. But it was. Mark Johnson was the coach yeah Mark there. Johnson yeah yeah, yeah the longtime right. yeah. A and M coach yeah that's right yeah, yeah that, that's what I was thinking that team was kind of fun too because that that team hit about three forty as a club and had a team ERA that was probably six and a half like I don't know the numbers off the top but like they they were they were there to try to win a fourteen to twelve game and in that regional they won a couple of them like that so it clearly was working. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of like the model for when Ole Miss hosted all those regionals in a row those years, because in 06, it was that Western Kentucky, or the, sorry, the South Alabama team that was really good was in there. And then in 09 was the Western Kentucky group that uh, that really stressed Ole Miss in the finals. It was the game Pomeranz through the kind of the gym on two days rest or whatever. But that Western Kentucky team could absolutely smash with Gaynor and Kreger and some of those guys back in uh back in the day. You, you mentioned, I'm going to get to the SEC, but I'm talking to you now and I'm all over the place just because it's college baseball. Rice for a minute there tried to kind of go to a little bit of a Vanderbilt model, tried to try to figure it out from a program still. Is there any future for that or where are they kind of stuck right now? I think there's a little bit of a future, but it's it's largely based on everything they've already built up, right? The facility is still good. It's starting to show its age a little bit. And I haven't been in years, so I guess I, I shouldn't say so definitively. But last I was there, it was starting to show a little bit of age, but it's still a very, very good facility. It was a crown jewel when they built that thing. Like it was 
you know, they used to get a lot of national TV games in part because the facilities for things like TV and broadcasters and things like that were so good. It was just an easy place to go do a game, which wasn't the case in college baseball in 2008 across the board like it is now. So, um, and, and of course in Houston, you know, there's just a ton of players, right? So you're always going to have that going for you. But I think the difference with Rice and Vanderbilt is the results were pretty similar, um, you know, for there for a while, but the Rice administration is not on board in a way that the Vanderbilt administration was, uh, you know, sure, and of course. It, so I think that's the big difference there is that the Vanderbilt administration, I think in part because, you know, like Rice, there's their other major sports have historically not been very good, really latched onto the baseball thing. And I think having a coach like, like Tim Corbin really kind of pushing and pushing for more and, and, and doing this and doing that, you know, really kind of like not being content with what they had and really trying to push the envelope uh, and the administration going for that. It was just a different deal at, at rice. And so, you know, I think it was, they, they liked the success they were having, but it, it just wasn't necessarily the, the will to kind of continue to do different things to stay competitive as the landscape of college baseball changed. Right. Cause that's, that's really part of it here too, is that, you know, I think there's rice is not alone in a certain brand of private school that had a lot of success at, at one point in college baseball history that is no longer quite succeeding at that level. I think of Tulane mm-hmm. it, it, kind of in the same the same vein there. So, you know, whether those two things are related or not, maybe it's just, you know, anecdotal and, and a coincidence. But I do think there is something there that as college baseball has grown a certain subset of schools that really hung their hat on baseball have just not been able to do so quite in the same way as more money has poured in from things that have nothing to do with baseball, like, you know, media contracts in football for football and basketball purposes, as that money has filtered down, it's just allowed, you know, these major conferences to run away with things and life is hard unless you're, unless you're a really, you know, a really, really committed mid-major program, like a Southern Miss, for example, East Carolina, um, Hmm. if you want to call that mid-major, like if, if you're not one of those, life is really tough. Feel free to call me an idiot here. I've, I've got a take, and I could be wrong, but Tim Corbin, he is now to his credit. I mean, they've done so much to benefit from, but also assist their former players back in and the reputation and the way they develop prospects and all these different things. But he he was never going to take the Clemson job, but he kind of threw his name in that hat for a minute just because he seemed frustrated at Vanderbilt a little bit in the offseason when Eric Backage gets hired. And as Vanderbilt, because of NIL or whatever, I believe Vanderbilt will fall just a touch. I mean, it'll no longer be just the preeminent number one recruiting location wherever, just because they're not going to have the same NIL resources of Arkansas or LSU or Ole Miss or whomever if they really get invested in that way. Am I crazy that in three years, I think Tim Corbin's coaching at a different SEC school? I don't think you're crazy to say that he might be doing something a little different, but I've always seen Tim Corbin as as less likely to have an, a next act as a head coach somewhere. I think his, I, I think this is just Joe's opinion. Sure. I think the next act is, is just as likely to be something in administration, whether that's, oh, okay. you know, an AD at Vanderbilt or for some sort of, you know, some sort of job, you know, in the NCAA level or something like that. Like, I think he's just a, a savvy administrator. And I, I think, um, I think there's a reason why you look at some of the infrastructure that's around him and his, his, baseball program I remember um my first year going to Omaha the Vanderbilt was there which would have been 19 when they won it all um and just the amount of people they bring to that like the support staff they have and Mm -hmm. they've got you know multiple SI you know some places send one SID and a photographer but they had multiple people doing media for them and multiple you know videographers and photographers and creative people and um 
And I don't think that's an accident. Like, I don't think they just offered that. To, like, I think Tim Corbin is kind of thinking ahead on that kind of stuff. And so I think he's got a, an administrative type of brain. So like, I wouldn't be surprised by really anything, especially as college baseball continues to grow. Where I think we're going to see more stuff where these coaches kind of have second and third acts in places we might not have expected. But I would be more likely to see him moving into something more in an administrative role. You're now the first part of what you said, I think you're, I think you're right on. I think life has gotten a little harder for, for Vanderbilt or could potentially. Um, and some of this is just that it's cyclical, right? Like it's hard to be the cat's meow for any length of time, right? Like there's just kind of these cyclical things where um, water kind of tends to find its level. But I do think there are a lot of headwinds that Vanderbilt will have to deal with. And I don't think they're, they are not ignorant to those. Like they under kind of understand what, what the deal is. So um, that's kind of the first step in fighting those. But yeah, I think, you know, their, their ability to be the preeminent recruiting location for players, I think is, is slightly diminished, which is not to say diminished altogether. Cause you know, they still obviously have a lot to offer. Of course. You jump into the SEC uh, from an overall standpoint, and I'm, I, I could have done this math myself, but I'll still something that one of my podcast coworkers said a few days ago. You look at this, and in the SEC West, you have the 2022 national champions, the 2021 national champions, two teams that tied for third in the country, a team that tied for – or a team that finished sixth or fifth or sixth in the country in Auburn, the most talented team in the country by far in LSU – and then an Alabama team that is better. Uh, I think you guys have them ranked. They're, they're, they're improved. It's on paper as good as just a straight resume standpoint that the West has been, which is saying something considering how it is. And then you have Tennessee, who was the best team in the country last year. They by far bring a ton of guys back. Vanderbilt, as you mentioned, Florida should be really, really good. It, you're talking 11, 12 deep in this thing. But from the side that West, I almost feel like it's schedule influenced a little bit because we don't think Missouri is probably very good. Kentucky is down or whatever. I don't know what to make of South Carolina, but you look at it and there's at least a path to every West team being really, really good. Now I'm kind of curious about States pitching and some different things, but the East West kind of separation seems more than maybe we see on paper going into some seasons. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's why it's totally not off the table that yes, LSU is the most talented team on paper, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Tennessee end up with the best record again, because they're, they have not just gone away for anybody, for anybody out there who is hoping that this Tennessee, you know, fever would break and it would be a totally different deal. Like uh, brother, I got news for you. Like it's, it's the best rotation in college baseball. So, you know, so I, will they go 25 and five again? No, I, I don't think so. I'd be really shocked by that, but could they just win the sec by virtue of like, Hey, we get to play, more games against teams that aren't going to be in regionals. Like I, I totally think that's on the table and, and I feel bad in the West because we, you know, we got beat up and by we, I mean, D one got beat up a little bit when we released our top 25 by Auburn fans. And I get it. Like I, I, I totally get it. You know, and, and I think Butch has proven himself as a coach that it's really hard for, for folks like you and I to be able to quantify coaching. Like, you know, it's really easy for fans and even us to say like, Oh, this is bad coaching. These are good coaches. These are bad coaches, all that kind of stuff. But the truth is you and I don't really know. Mm -hmm. altogether sure um but he is someone i'm confident in saying with the exception of 2021 when they were beat up and i think things the 2021 year, year was weird for everybody it was the post-covid year he tends to get their teams tend to be like 25 percent better than you think they should be every year um and they they seem to overachieve on paper every year and they do deserve some benefit of the doubt at this point and yet you know we just felt like it was hard to rank them because there's so many other teams on paper that we just liked better and so yeah i mean it, it's it's tough and you know what 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Matt, the math doesn't really work out either. It's one of the reasons why you allude to Mississippi State having questions about their pitching. I, you know, I think that team will be better this year. I mean, it seems like, I think I said this on the podcast I did with, with Kendall and Aaron and Runes yesterday, you play out Mississippi State season a hundred times. And the one we saw last year might've been the worst version of that season. Cause they just kind of felt like they bottomed out. Um, so I think they will be better kind of by default this year. And I like a lot of the personnel on the position player side, but how much better can you really expect to be in that division and in this conference? Because it's not just as easy to say, okay, we're going to be better. Well, guess what? So are a lot of other teams in the conference. So um, you know, ask teams like, like Alabama or Kentucky, like how hard it is to claw your way back up the sec when you're trying to build something like, it's just tough because the teams at the top aren't going anywhere. You mentioned Tennessee and maybe they end up with the best record. I think, yeah, I agree with you. That's very, very possible. Are we going to see, you know, they, they, they played such a heel last year. I mean, you had, you had Patello and Butch throwing bats at each other and you had something every weekend, whether it be the Vanderbilt thing with the legal bats or even when they came into Oxford and just smashed Ole Miss over those three days. Are, are we going to see a very similar DNA and attitude, or do you think Vitello calms even a little bit? I mean, what, what do you sort of envision just from a persona of this Tennessee team? I think we'll see a little bit softer is maybe not the right word, but I do think there'll be a little <laughs> bit less of less of an edge. Like, I do think there is always going to be a baseline of that in that program because that's just that's just I think that is the DNA of that. And, it, and Tony obviously is the face of it, but you know, as a pitching coach, Frank Anderson's a pretty fiery guy too. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's an an intense group and. And that obviously works for them. Um, I, but I do think we will see a little less of that. Now, some of that might just be 
some of the personnel like Drew Gilbert, Jordan Beck, Jarrell Ortega, those guys are gone. And, and they are tended to be three of the more intense personalities on that roster. So maybe that plays a role. But I also think, again, just Joe's opinion, I also think maybe they learned some lessons as the season went on. And I don't know if they necessarily regret any specific incident or anything like that. But I, I do wonder if they what happened against Notre Dame in the Super Regional, where Notre Dame was so up to play that role of spoiler. And they got, and look, everybody's going to be up for a Super Regional, right? If you can't get up to play in a Super Regional, I don't know what to tell you. But, but there was something a little extra there, I felt, with Notre Dame. And Tennessee also kind of had to play that way all season. Everyone came in there wanting to be the team that took down Tennessee. And like that can be really taxing. And do they want to go through another season just like that one? Um, maybe, you know, we'll see. But, <laughs> but I do think maybe there will be some, I do think there will be some lessons learned and maybe like a little bit of, hey, let's pick our spots a little bit. And and so, you know, he, the moment being what it is, maybe that won't be the case. But I, I suspect maybe we'll see a little more of a measured approach to that kind of intensity from them. Yeah, it looked like they sort of got hit back a little bit and they had a hard time responding. I mean, they, they, they got shell-shocked and when you're, just that aggressive and you win that many games. And then suddenly there's some adversity for, you know, real adversity for the only time all season, because at no point, even if they lost games or you lose the games to Kentucky, it wasn't changing anything. You were still going to win the sec. And yeah, it was like the ultimate spoiler because the entire route for Notre Dame was sort of that disrespect thing. It's like, you're going to send us to Statesboro and we should be hosting and we're not. And, Oh, we get Tennessee in the first round too. I mean, they were sort of on a tour at that point. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It was, it was a perfect foil for, it's also, that Notre Dame team was like 23 year olds, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, I, I think on some level, it's like a bunch of grown men who are just like, you know, like we say all you want, like we're not responding to you. We're just going to go out here and take care of our business in a way that a 19 year old might be a little more inclined to respond emotionally and, and lose control there. And, and Tennessee just loved that type of atmosphere. So they kind of thrived in it. Right. So um, yeah, it, it ended up just kind of being the perfect foil. I, I will say like, you know, I get asked all the time, or at least last year I did about my kind of thoughts on, on Tennessee. And, and the thing I, I go back to is one is, was some of it kind of like a little, a little much. Uh, sure. You could make that argument. I, I might as well. Um, but in the end, it's like, who are they, who are they hurting? You know, that's kind of the one thing. Um, but then the second thing about it is I will, I will always be willing to kind of defend a coach whose players really ride for him okay. and yeah. it's not just the guys who really thrive you know I mentioned Drew Gilbert Jordan Beck like those guys who are really intense players I spent a, I've spent a decent amount of time covering that team it's a fairly easy drive for me from from North Carolina to get there so I've spent a decent amount of time covering them the last couple of years um, and I've talked to players who aren't necessarily those guys some of the quietest guys in the roster and they absolutely ride for Tony in a way that seems extremely genuine and is not just canned responses. And so again, I understand where the, where, where they became the heel and they, they liked that role, but, but it's also going to be hard for me to, to really be overly critical of a coach whose players, um, you know, say things about how much they know that, that he loves them and, and, you know, wants the best for them and, and really goes to bat for them in a, in a way that, you know, sometimes we're not sure happens in a college setting where, you know, these players are seem disposable in some cases, especially in this era of the transfer portal and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, they, they say a lot of really good things about him. So I'm always going to be willing to at least extend some, some benefit of the doubt there. How have they been able to replace some of those guys you mentioned that are gone? I mean, we know about the pitching staff and got studs all over, all over the mound, but just in general on paper, how are they sort of replacing the guys and what do you expect there? 
I think they're still going to be really good offensively. Like they, the thing about it is, I mean, they had, they, they truly, you know, coaches talk all the time about, well, we've got 12 guys really like, and it's like, well, how true is that really? If push came to shove, they were in that position last year. They had, you know, Blake Burke hit 14 home runs yeah. and like 95 at bats. I mean, that's insane. Um, that's like a 30 plus home run pace, which I, you know, if he, if he does that, like, holy moly. Um, but he's not a, like, he's not the only guy, like they had Jared Dickey who, you know, might catch for him, might be an outfielder. He hit almost 400 and battled injuries all year was kind of in and out of the lineup. He's a full-time guy this year. Christian Moore was similar. I think he had seven home runs and about 115 ish at bats. And they just didn't have places for these guys. You know, they were kind of cycling them through at DH and other things, but ultimately just didn't have spots in the lineup for these guys. So there's, there's that piece. Those guys are going to get 240 at bats or whatever, if they stay healthy. The other piece is this program. And this is, I think what makes this program should scare other sec programs about Tennessee is that it's not just that they recruit well that they do. It's not just that they get guys they want out of the transfer portal, which I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Maui Ahuna from Kansas who hit 400 in the big 12 and is like, a plus defender at shortstop. And I think is exactly the right type of player to, to succeed in a, in a place like Tennessee, but they also do that in the transfer portal, but they're also a really good development program. Like Trey Lipscomb last year went from role player to one of the sec's best hitters. And maybe that doesn't happen this year, but they've got a couple guys who fit that bill. The biggest one is Kyle Booker. Who's a super athletic outfielder with like, you know, a, a rifle for an arm. It's like 95 plus from the outfield and, a plus runner and just a really good line drive swing. And, you know, he kind of strikes me as a, as a good table setter type of guy. So if this is a program that's going to recruit like they do use the transfer portal, like they do, and also develop players like that, that's, I mean, usually teams are doing two of those three things at best, right? If they're doing all three, that, that makes them really, really tough. I'm going to get down spend 45 minutes on Tennessee. If I don't move on Uh Vanderbilt, Florida, where do you sort of see two, three, what, what order there behind Tennessee in the East? And then just in, in, in general, kind of where is Florida's program right now, in your opinion? Yeah, Florida's in need of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a bounce back, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's all based on standards, right? Because for a lot of programs, what they've done the last five years would be, would be great. Um, but they've been eliminated in a home regional each of the last two years, um, which is obviously not where they where they want to be. And, and, you know, last year, okay, they ran into Oklahoma, who was playing its best baseball at that time. And so, okay, tough draw there. But, you know, the year before that, they lost to in a regional that had South Florida and South Alabama, you know, like, you know, they was just really and got really like blown off the field in 2021 in their home regional in that elimination game. So certainly a team in need of a um, in need of a little bit of a bounce back just to get some juice back in that program. Cause it, it kind of did feel like that they've been a little flatter the last couple of years. And I, you know, I don't cover that, that program day to day. So I couldn't really put my finger on exactly why there, but I do think it is a little bit undeniable that it just hasn't quite been the same. What I like about this team though, is it does feel a little bit more like kind of a, some of the classic Florida teams, like the, the talent on the mound is now undeniable and they're they're not having to kind of squint and hope for for some guys in the way that in previous rotations they kind of did and I think the big thing is obviously Hurston Waldrop from Southern Miss a guy that, that you saw pitch um in that super um Team USA guy you know 14 mm -hmm. strikeouts per nine inning at Southern Miss like he was already an SEC arm and now he's going to be pitching in the SEC and that's important just for his sake in general but then I also think the important piece there is it puts a little less pressure on Brandon Sproat who was a third round draft pick last summer really stepped up when Barco got hurt last year, Sprout stepped in as the ace and did a really good job. He's a great arm. It's, you know, a fastball approaching triple digits, but he doesn't miss as many bats as you would think, 
given that he's thrown almost a hundred and his secondary stuff is, is still kind of a work in progress. And so he, he doesn't, like I say, he doesn't miss a ton of bats. He doesn't really tend to dominate games the way you think he might. And so if he starts to do that, we're talking about an elite rotation, but even if he doesn't, if he's just the same guy, he has been, if he's your second best arm in your rotation, you're in pretty good shape. And they've got a third guy in Pierce Coppola who had a back injury last year, was a highly regarded recruit in that incoming class missed most of last year, except for one start, but he's been like 95, 97 in the fall. And they really like what they see from, from him. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of classic Florida, right? I mean, there were days when like Jackson Coar was their Sunday guy or whatever, like, you know, uh, that's kind of classically Florida. And then with the lineup, it's, they've got a centerpiece in Wyatt Langford at 26 home runs last year. And they've got a lot of guys who do a lot of things. Well, Josh Rivera and, and Colby Halter, BT Ryapel, who's just a, a big, you know, power hitting catcher. Who's, you know, pretty, you know what you're going to get with him. Right. And so that strikes me as kind of like a, a little bit of a classically Florida team in a way that maybe the last, the last several haven't been, but we'll, we'll see. We're going to have to kind of wait and see on that because it's not like they haven't been talented the last several years. Vanderbilt, obviously a loss for Christian little and uh, you know, they, they've got some frontline guys, but is this, is this a typical talented college role series level Vanderbilt team or are they somewhere just below that? Yeah, I think, for me personally, I mean, we've got them ranked 10, which suggests like right on the outside of that. Um, and that's, I think, I think that's about right for me. Y- you love the the front end guy, Carter Holton. Great. Absolutely. Saw yes, him in Hoover. Is. He's awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's excellent. Yep. He's <laughs> check. Okay. They got that. Um, and they've got a ton of just guys that names, you know, that are on the pitching staff, right? It's Thomas Schultz and it's uh, Nick Maldonado and it's Patrick Riley um, and it's just kind of a matter of how do those pieces fit together? Cause th- those three guys in particular have been guys that it feels like their roles have been kind of shifting and it's not mm-hmm. really, really exactly sure. Like what the best thing is for them. So on the mound, it is kind of a classically talented Vanderbilt team. It is just kind of a matter of fitting those pieces together. I have some more questions about the position player group outside of Bradfield, who is incredible, obviously. Um, and if he adds more power, like you're talking about an sec player of the year type of guy, like he don't look now hit eight home runs last year. Um, you know, and if you're going to be a guy who can hit 10, 11, 12 home runs and steal 50 bases, you know, I mean, that's, that's obviously a unique threat in college baseball, but I do have more questions about their position player group, but I do also think that they strike me as maybe a team that needed a little bit of a reset and might get it this year. Um, you know, they'd had a group of guys who had kind of been together that, you know, maybe were on the roster in 2019 on the national title team, but weren't playing a big role or maybe, their freshman year was in 2020 right after that national title that had been together for a few years. And it just hadn't quite, I mean, they got to the the CWS finals in 2021, but that was kind of a a rocker and lighter type situation that was bringing along the offense at sometimes. Yeah. So it just kind of felt like maybe it was a group that needed a little bit of reset and they've got it. So it also wouldn't shock me to see that that's maybe not as talented a position player group, but is a better baseball team, if that makes sense. Yeah, you can buy, you know, if they, were a, if they were a stock, I feel like you could buy them a little lower than you normally would a Vanderbilt team. They're not as scary. They're they're good. I mean, if they win the whole thing, sure, nobody's going to be overly shocked or anything. But at the same time, and, and maybe it says something about the SEC when we're talking about LSU and Tennessee and everybody else where they've just slid down a little bit just because so many more teams have, have so much talent through the portal and the way they have done it. Is, is South Carolina a regional team? Yes, is my, uh, okay. let me give, I was about to do a whole bunch of caveats, but let me just, <laughs> yes, let me start there. Uh, Aaron likes him a lot more than the rest of us at D1 Baseball do. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school there. Like he, he would cop to that. 
Um, but I do still think it's probably a regional team. I think they're going to have to fight for it. Like, I don't think it's going to be the type of deal where they, where they cruise in. The thing about them is that their pitching staff does have a chance to be elite. Um, Will Sanders, Team USA guy, has a chance to be a first-round pick. Like, got it. Jack Mahoney was a guy who was a reliever with an ERA of like one and a half, two years ago, had Tommy John didn't pitch last year. If he's back in form in the road and they're going to try him in the rotation, if that clicks, got it. You know, Noah Hall got drafted last year out of the rotation. He's back. Um, Eli Jerzenbeck is a freshman who was really, really good in the fall. They really, really like him. He's the type of guy that you see in college baseball periodically, I think where he might start the year as the midweek guy or start the year in a relief role. And then you look up in May and he's starting in the SEC. Like he could be that kind of guy. So you like that. Matthew Becker's the guy I should mention too, kind of a versatile reliever guy who could be stretched out or close games or something like that. The question is going to be, what do they get offensively? And it feels like South Carolina has kind of bounced back and forth from a couple of different approaches. You know, back in 2021, they had an offense that was really home run reliant. You might remember Wes Clark being there. Mm-hmm. They're big, bad, but they had a handful of guys like that who felt a little all or nothing. And then last year, they they actually finished last in the SEC in home runs last year and tried to be more athletic. And I don't know if that really necessarily worked all that well. Um, this year, they've gone in with the transfer portal on offense. They've got Caleb Denny from Oral Roberts, who started his career at Arkansas, actually. Jacob Compton from from Memphis, who, who's a good player. Um, I feel like I'm maybe forgetting uh, Gavin Cassis, who was at Vanderbilt actually, um, and didn't see a lot of run there, but is a really talented guy. Um, and if that group clicks, I think they'll be good enough offensively. Um, but if this team's really good, it's going to be on the mound. I, I would be shocked if it's the inverse there. But but I, th- I do think they're going to be able to do enough on the mound to, to get into a regional. Just a quick thesis paragraph on Georgia. If Jaden Woods is a legit Friday guy, I think they've got enough to maybe – maybe flip-flop that pecking order with South Carolina because I like their yeah. offense better than I like South Carolina. It's an old offense. It's not going to be the most exciting offense. It's not going to be sexy, I don't think. But like one through nine, they're pretty solid with a bunch of old guys offensively. And I think if Jaden Woods is a, is a real Friday guy, I think that's that's probably enough. I, I get asked this all the time and I don't cover the sport nationally. So I'll ask you, and I know you've been asked this every offseason for the last 20 years probably. Why is Georgia not better? They have everything. Why is that program? I mean, because it's not like Scott Strickland's a bad baseball coach. He's done a good job at Kent State. He's been, he, he, he knows the sport. They have all that talent in Gwinnett and Cobb counties. They have the Hope Scholarship to help out from an 11.7 standpoint. What is it, just from a buy-in standpoint, that prevents them from being more competitive than they are? It's a good question, and let me, let me start off by saying, like, I, I don't really know everything you hear beyond this point will be me speculating. I, you know, I... I I've not done the reporting, so I, I don't want to. I don't want it to come off like I've got some some hard and fast facts. But I think one theory that I've heard posited is kind of similar to a, a theory that I hear about the West Coast because I get asked all the time too, like why is the West Coast not as? And there's a million reasons for that, not the least of which is like Jacob Gonzalez plays at Ole Miss, not USC, right? Like, <laughs> and he's not the only SEC player yeah, sure. like that. Um. But part of it, the one theory that I've heard, and this tends to be from people who work more in the evaluation scouting community, is that there are so many, that area is so heavily scouted that if there is a player who's good enough to play in the SEC, he's he he has been identified at 14 years old, 15 years old, and has been so heavily scouted and picked apart that A, everybody sees him. So it's not just Georgia being able to sit on a guy. Like every team in the SEC saw a kid in Atlanta. 
to say nothing of teams in the ACC and, and the good mid-major sure. programs, whatever. So there's a lot of competition. And then also like MLB teams tend to not miss on kids from Atlanta and, and there's in those other counties around Atlanta. So that's one theory that I, I can at least, okay. Yeah. That, that seems like on an edge case. Sure. Like I, I get it. Um, I mean, the other thing is though, like you just kind of look at, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Foley field, um, yeah. but it's not Mizzou in terms of being behind. Um but in a world where every program in the SEC has done a relatively major overhaul in the last 10 years, for the most part, like, you know, it is, it just is, you look at Foley Field and you look at some of what the rest of the SEC is doing. And these two things are not necessarily the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to put it all in facilities. Cause I think that's an over, there's an over-reliance on looking at facilities and saying like, this is why this team is good. And this, is why this team is bad. But I do think it can be an avatar for kind of where, you know, um, the focus is athletically. So again, that, that's just me speculating on my part, but I do think you can look at that and, and maybe see some, read some tea leaves on, on where the focus is or is not. The bones of Foley field is actually, they're, they're the exact same bones that Swayze was before any of the renovations. Uh, Ole Miss and Georgia had the exact same concourse press box stadium expansion. And then even when, even when Georgia renovated theirs a few years ago, they came to Oxford and looked at where Swayze was at the time. And, and different things and then I mean maybe bad is too harsh but they just didn't do a very good job with it, it just didn't didn't turn out like you thought that you know some type maybe they didn't put as much money into it I don't know the particulars of Georgia but yeah it just you kind of got done and went I don't know it didn't look like what it could have looked like there it just didn't do quite enough and then there's also it's not just stadium it's you know it's hitter complexes and performance facilities especially in the SEC now the way that that stuff is uh is going crazy so yeah that, I, I definitely get both those uh those points shifting uh shifting over to the west for a second uh, we are all talking about it I mean, Mitchell christian little i mean white this lsu team where's the weakness if it doesn't work out why i'll say defense first they they okay. they don't uh what were you about to say were you about to uh, were you about to give me an out there i was making a point there that it was taking you a minute to come up with something. yeah yeah i mean that, that that's that's <laughs> uh, yes exactly precisely um so I think that the most obvious one is, is, is team defense. They were not a good defensive team last year. I don't suspect they will be this year. Um, you know, Tommy white, by all accounts is a, a hard worker. And I've talked to him. He wants to be a good defensive third baseman, but there's a difference between wanting it and being it. I think he could be better than Jacob Barry was last year. Um, I think he's a little more natural there, um, which is not to say he's going to be a high level third baseman. You know, Jordan Thompson, their shortstop, a lot of errors last year. Um, they get saved a lot. Now they do have like the, for my money, the best defensive first baseman in the country in Trey Morgan. And I think he's going to, <laughs> I think he's going to earn his keep over there this year. I think, you know, he's probably maybe the most valuable player on the team just kind of for that reason. But so that's the thing. I think they fielded like 962 last year, which is just not, you know, the SEC across the board is typically 970 and above. And it was them and A&M yeah. that were kind of at the, at the bottom of that. So that's, that's one. Um, Two, though, is if you really want to nitpick, and let me be clear to your listeners here, this is this is nitpicking. Um, I could see a scenario where the pitching just doesn't click yeah. quite as much. Yeah. Um, we can con- we can sit here and concoct scenarios, right? Paul Skeens is a really good arm. He's not pitched out of the Mountain West. Um, you know, he has really good stuff that I think is going to translate to the SEC. Let me be clear about that. But it's different. He's going to face a level of hitter that he's not had to face one, you know, one through nine in his career. Now you could also counteract that by saying that the Mountain West has a lot of really offensive environments, 
And so, okay, you know, I, I hear that. Um, but I, you know, I covered team USA the last two summers and you know, the, the, in, of course he, he wasn't this time around, but the, the previous year he was on team USA between his freshman and sophomore years. And he's made a leap. Yes. But it was not across the board at the time, the evaluators that I talked to that were all in on him as a pitcher. Now, I think some of that has changed. Like, let me be, be clear about that. But, but at that time there were some people that weren't hundred percent sold on it. So could you see a scenario where he's a good pitcher in the sec, but not a true Friday guy on the, on the level of, you know, name your sec ace. Like, sure. Um, that's your heard from UCLA is coming off a back injury. You know um, what is that like? He hasn't pitched in a while. Now he was excellent when I saw him last year. So it's the real deal if he's healthy, but okay, there's, there's that. And then you're talking about some guys that, that were in the program last year that, you know, Ty Floyd had his moments, but you know, um, was in and out of the rotation and Grant Taylor, uh, you know, is going to be in a new role starting. And so I like the arms, um, but, but is there a scenario where it's, it's just kind of an okay group versus an excellent group? Absolutely. Now, what I will say is that, you know, hiring Wes Johnson as a pitching coach is, is a, is a, is a real highlight. I mean, that just shows when you talk about commitment, you know, LSU going to get a big league pitching coach as a little bit of the icing on the cake there kind of shows you where they're at. And, and so I, I do think we have to allow for because everywhere West Johnson has been like the, the, the pitching staffs have improved in, in short order. So I think we do have to allow for some of that there. But again, we, we sat here and just were able to kind of concoct a scenario where it's, you know, a middle of the pack SEC pitching staff as opposed to one that's leading the way. Yeah. It's, it's one injury. It's a hamstring that has a hard time getting healed from one of the hitters. And then there's a, yeah. Is this probably accurate? No, but yeah, there's a world where they don't have one of the top 10 arms in the SEC. I mean, that's, 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 Doable. I yeah. mean, possible, 100%. maybe. I mean, you know, 100%, no, hundred percent. And then, and then the West is good. So you struggle for a few weekends and suddenly, you know, 20 and 10 turns into 18 and 12 and you're not the number one overall seed or the six overall seed. And then you run into an arm on a weekend. And I mean, Tennessee will tell you that things happen. I mean, it's not, yep, absolutely. It, it's not a guaranteed thing there. Um, I, I'm trying to I'll save Ole Miss here, so I'll do this. Arkansas A&M, how do you sort of separate them? And is A&M going to play any faster this year? I would really enjoy that if we could get A&M to just actually get in the box, throw a pitch. Um, you know, I, I think Ole Miss played like seven games, maybe five that went over four hours last year. It was basically just every A&M game and then like two other ones. Yeah, I got bad news on that, Chase. Um, I know, I know, I know. It's, uh, it's largely with A&M, largely uh, – yeah, I guess that's fair. Largely the same lineup. Um, Moss and Targotch and Bost and Jordan Thompson in center. And I'm missing a name or two, but Trevor Werner. Um, so like, it's largely the same lineup that kind of succeeded playing that way, um, playing that way last year. The difference for them is I think they're, I think they're going to be a little bit better on the mound last year. They really, I mean, I think this is where that coaching staff really kind of made their money last year and, and Schloss and, and Nate Yeski like they really papered over some stuff on the mound last year. Like Detmer was really solid. I'll give him that, but his ERA was almost five. It was four nine nine, I think. Um, and Jacob Palish, the reliever that was just like a, you know, like a bandaid over everything. They just put him in in every game and when they needed him and, and he was great. Um, you know, Micah Dallas had some big innings, but, but there wasn't really anything on the mound that really wowed you with A&M necessarily last, last year. And I think that might change a little bit this year. Um, Detmer has the stuff, the looks that we've, that, that Kendall got on him in the fall were electric. So it seems like he's taken a step forward. They brought in a, a Purdue transfer, Troy Wansing, who's like results weren't that good last year, but the stuff is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Cortez is an electric arm for them. that has been up to, I think he touched 99 last year, 46 times or something like that. I mean, something insane. So 
I think the arms are across the board better. We so we you know we've got A and M at five, just behind Ole Miss actually, and it's largely based on the idea that they're not going to be quite so dependent on having to score runs and grind out games. And so it, with Arkansas, I think the difference is there. Look, we actually we talked about this on our top twenty-five podcast. I'll just speak for myself. I'm at a point with Arkansas where I don't, I don't really care what the personnel is. <laughs> like I'm just going to kind of assume that they're going to figure it out and they're either going to be in Omaha or they're going to be knocking on the door of it because they've done that so often recently. And it's not even like, it's not even like they haven't had issues in the past. Right. I mean, it's not like these rosters have been so good. They're just undeniable. Like they, they just find a way every year. I mean, there's years where, you know, the pitching is thin. There's years where the, the offense is over-reliant on one or two guys and they just always kind of find a way. Now, that being said, if, if we want to have a, a real conversation about the personnel, I think for them it comes down to, you know, is Jackson Wiggins ready to be a little more reliable in the rotation? Mm-hmm. I really like Hagan Smith, the guy who was a freshman last year, the lefty, who's really good. So I, I really like that. I really like Brady Tigert on the back end. He can really spin a breaking ball. Um, but is, is Wiggins a more than a four or five inning starter who occasionally has these really disastrous starts can his arm can the results kind of match up to his arm talent because the arm talent is obviously off the charts so that that's it for me with Arkansas is is this finally a team that you look at and they're they feel a little bit deeper on the mound because that's ultimately kind of it's felt like that's been their bugaboo for a little while now yeah because I mean you know last year I mean they ended up finishing third in the country they essentially probably win the national title if they get by Dylan Delucia and Ole Miss there on that on that one day and yeah they did it all without Peyton Pallette so I mean you know, did the entire season from, from, from that standpoint and you know I I was sitting in the press conference I guess when they got eliminated last year and you could see Dave Van Horn and I there's obviously a pretty big rivalry between Ole Miss and Arkansas so I'll be a little careful with my words here because of Ole Miss fans mostly listening but you sort of really feel for him because I don't know how he I don't know how you ever overcome what happened to him in 18 with the ball in the air to win the thing. And it just, it felt like he was having this huge deflating moment sitting there in that press conference when Ole Miss knocked him out. Because I think in his mind, he thought that was the national title. I think he thought either one of them would beat Oklahoma in the next two days. And there was just a certain resignation about him that I feel like every year when they get eliminated, it's just like one more little dagger that still is more related to 18 than anything else. Yeah. I mean, you, you, <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't really blame him for asking a lot of big picture questions about the about <laughs> life and your purpose and all that kind of stuff. Just when you talk about 2018 and, and last year, right? I mean, last year, if they, they win that game that was so close, so tightly contested, you know, that they're probably lifting the trophy. And, and then in 21, they have far and wide the best team in college baseball, and it just doesn't happen. They just ran into a, a team of destiny in NC State, or what we thought at the time was a team of destiny and looked right. like it for a while. But um, yeah, I mean, and I, I wonder, you know, I, I just, so I think of Mike Martin and, you know, towards the end of his run, he would get asked all the time, which had to get old. Like, let's be honest. It had to get old when people would ask him about how do you feel like you need a national title to, to submit your legacy or to this or that or the other thing. And, and he would say, and I think, you know, it seemed sincere. He would just kind of say, you know, a long time ago, I just got to a point where I realized like, I don't, I don't need that you know, and I, I don't need that to validate my legacy or to be looked at in a certain way. Like I'm, I'm kind of happy with the way my, my career is. And um, so while I don't doubt that Dave Van Horn has a lot of, he, he probably does have a lot of moments where he just wonders what if on, on these little mm-hmm. things that have happened, most notably 2018, 
you know, I do wonder, you know, he's been in the game long enough now. I, I do wonder if he is starting to kind of have that perspective because you couldn't blame him for having moments of wondering, like, is this ever, is this ever going to happen? Cause they've been on that. They've been on that stage so often. I mean, in, in my time covering college baseball, they, they haven't won any national titles, but you could make a real argument that they've been the, you know, in terms of getting into the college world series, the preeminent mm-hmm. program in college baseball. Right. So um, yeah, I, but I, for, for his mental health, I hope he's gotten to a point where he's kind of, you know, not, not hanging on winning a national title to, to validate something in his career, because obviously he's, you know, one of the great program builders, even going back to Nebraska, one of the great program builders in the sport. And he still has a chance to win one. I mean, they're, said they're, they're in it every single year. You don't know. I don't think he's done in the next 48, you know, two years or anything along those lines. He's going to go a little longer. And, you know, outside of in-state talent, there's an argument that maybe that's the best job in the country. They've got NIL. They've got the bordering state stuff that really helps bring in talent, the facilities, the money, the excitement. I mean, you, you could easily make that a top one, two job, depending on how you want to do those metrics. Uh, if, if you were just trying to rate every job in the country from that standpoint, um, I mentioned with the opening just for being better. What are we making of this Alabama team? They might have of the teams in that middle class of the SEC, they might have the highest floor for me. Like they they don't they don't have a superstar in the lineup, but they have nine really good players. Um and if Andrew Pinkney's maybe the guy who you look at, he's center fielder, like he might be the guy if they have a star, he he might be the guy who ends up being that. Um in the rotation they bring back two thirds of what they had last year. And, you know, it's, and everyone has kind of slid down a spot because they've got, you know, Grayson hit was their Sunday guy. Now he's probably more like a front of the rotation guy. Ben Hess was maybe going to be a rotation guy last year, had a freak injury. Didn't come back until late in the season. Um, pitched his best baseball at the SEC tournament. So he's back in the rotation. So they, they've kind of got guys who last year were having to pitch on Fridays and Saturdays who now are more like Sunday, Tuesday guys. And so that obviously bodes always bodes well for, uh, for a program. So their ceiling is pretty limited, I think, because they don't have that big time, unless it's Grayson Hitter, Ben Hess, and it could be, we just haven't seen it. Um, but without on paper, that big time Friday guy, who's going to be maybe the best in the SEC or without a superstar in the lineup that everything revolves around like Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford or whoever else. Um, I just don't know what that ceiling is, but this is a team I trust that is not going to bottom out. I also said this the other day that they're an old enough team. They're also not going to be a team that's going to dump a bunch of midweek games. And so if they're a team that's on the bubble or if they have a really good season and they're on the hosting bubble, like I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to be held back because they dropped a midweek game to a team that has an RPI of, of one sixty-five. Um, And I, I think that always kind of helps raise a team's floor because you and I both know that like this dumb stuff like that happens that we can never foresee when we're predicting a team's mm-hmm. future that, you know, a, a midweek game where they kind of just go through the motions ends up being what, what undoes them. They also get Kentucky and Missouri. So if you could just pile some wins, you, you, you play from the East. I mean, yeah, they're the team that maybe they screw up somebody's thing. I mean, they, they Ole Miss was not playing well, but they swept Ole Miss and Oxford last year or whatever they did. Um, but yeah, you could definitely see regional team 15 and 15, even a 14, 16 kind of deal where they get in and, you know, kind of see where it goes from there. But yeah, it's, it's hard to go, hey, they're going 19 and 11 in the SEC West. It's like, yeah, I don't know. That, that feels. Yeah, that feels low risk. That feels low risk. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, state pitching. We mentioned it. Uh, what, what What's there? Um, how are they going to kind of get through this thing on the mound? Well, Kate Smith was probably better last year than I realized, if I'm being honest. I've gone back and, and looked mm-hmm. at it. And so if, if he's 
just what he was last year. I think they're in okay shape on Fridays. If he takes a step forward, they'd like it even more. The questions are behind them. They're, they're, they're going to, at least on paper, roll out with a couple of veterans who just haven't necessarily taken on the biggest roles the last few years. Parker Stinnett, Casey Hunt. Um, those are good arms. Those are veterans. There, there, there aren't going to be guys that are going to shy away from the moment, but they just haven't haven't done it. Um, so that, that's the kind of the way they're going to go. They got a Memphis transfer named Landon Gartman, who is like a 89 to 92 fastball guy who throws a ton of strikes. Like, you know what you're going to get, but he's not going to be an electrifying SEC level arm. And so if, if he ends up in the rotation, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I do think it might be an indication that, you know, uh, option a maybe didn't take, you know, and, and they're trying some different things. So, um, that's that's just ultimately what's going to control Mississippi State's season, I think, because I, the the position player side's in pretty good shape. You know, you've Luke Hancock behind the plate, dependable guy, and Hunter Hines could isn't legitimately an SEC Player of the Year type of player mm-hmm. if he has another year like the last. And they did well in the transfer portal. Colton Ledbetter, very different kind of player from Sonny Deshera. Let me be clear. Yeah, He's from I, Sanford. I going. <laughs> yeah, like he could have that type of level of impact. Um, yeah. But you know, whereas. I maybe could have beat Sonny to share in a foot race, although sure. probably not actually, if I'm being on, like those guys are always better athletes than like folks like you and I realize, you mm-hmm. know, just being a division one athlete, but um, very different type of player, Colton Ledbetter, but he could have that kind of impact on their, on their offense. And so I, I really like the offensive pieces, um, but man, there, there's just a wide berth of what you expect on the mound, but it, it's going to be, they're going to roll with veterans first and, and see if that takes. I rattle on, rattle on and on about them every day, but from an Ole Miss standpoint and the 10,000 feet view, what do you sort of see with this group? I mean, obviously Hunter Elliott moving to Friday seems to have the mentality for it. Everybody's in love with Grayson Saunier. I think he probably wound up being the Saturday starter on this team. They're, they're really banged up in the bullpen with Mallets out, Riley Maddox out for another season as well. They're going to have to have some young guys kind of step there. And can you mention somebody being better probably for the whole season? I'm giving credit for you don't really know what to do with Jack Doherty. They don't know what's going to take completely and in, in, in where he was going to be, even though he was so good late in the year last year. I, I do have some pitching questions a little bit, but, you know, I like the lineup a lot. I'm going to let you tell me a little bit about Clarko, about Groff, some of the new guys coming in from that standpoint. But it's going to be an older group. It's going to be an experienced group. Should be a pretty high, you know, high-end top-of-the-lineup guy. Gonzalez back, obviously. And I guess this happens around the country, but I don't know that I've covered it before. Without anything overly crazy, it's very likely Ole Miss loses all eight position players after this year, either to draft or exhausted eligibility. I don't think any of these eight starters are back in 2024. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but yeah, you <laughs> you might be right, which I think is a little bit of a, um, how do I put this? That, that to me that that speaks a little bit to what surprised me about this team when I first started really looking at you do you know you think about this stuff year round but for me it was like I kind of put last year's team away and then looked back at it this fall and and, and in the winter and was kind of surprised like oh wow this this actually a lot of familiar faces here um mm-hmm. you know and there were some things that could have gone differently right like you know TJ McCants could have decided I think you talked about that on your show with, with Neil last year like you know nobody would have blamed him if he'd have you know, moved on and just said, let me, let me do something different. Let me, whatever the next step is, let me, let me do that. Um, you know, Peyton Chatagnier didn't have the year he wanted to have, like if his year was, was something different, like could he've had professional opportunities yet? Yeah, you know, so there were some things that could have gone a different way, but I was kind of surprised by just how this team is, is kind of old again. Right. And so I have one of the big questions about Ole Miss that I've thought a little bit about, and you could speak to better than I is that 
I think about the Mississippi State team last year coming off of a national title. And yes, they had injuries, Landon Sims most notably, but some bullpen guys also. But it was clear based on the results there that even if they had better health, I don't think that team was going to be the team that we thought they were in the preseason. Um, it's easy to say now, but it's that seems pretty clear to me. And I think about losing guys like Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan from their lineup. And I do wonder a little bit with guys like Elko, Bench, Graham, um, just really steady guys. Elko, a cold hero. Bench, one of the more underrated offensive players in the country, frankly. Um, and then Graham being the guy whose return to the offense really kind of spurred things. Um, you could replace the production, I don't want to say easily, but that's pretty simple. But do you kind of lose some like soul of the team a little bit? Mm-hmm. And that's something that you and I consider and talk about forever and we'll never be able to say anything definitive until they take the field. But that's kind of something I've been thinking about is are the players just as good or almost as good or something like that? And just it not quite be the same. That, so that, that's kind of a big question that I have about this team that, you know, you might be able to speak to a little bit more, but I, I wonder about that a little. Yeah, because it's it's who it's who are they looking to when when, when the adversity hits? It's not necessarily even you know the spark plug. Like Chatney makes them go no matter where he's in the lineup. He's always going to be frenetic and have energy, and he's going to be that guy. But you know Elko and Graham especially, they were sort of the guys that kept the eyes up from everybody. Hey, look at us, we're okay here, and it's it's not a bad thing. And I'm not criticizing him because you've got to be who you are, and it's going to make him one hell of a pro. But that's John Jacob Gonzalez. He just goes about his day, and he's quiet, and he stays to himself. I mean you he kind of did a big double fist pump when they won the national title last year. And that's the only thing you saw from him all year. He just, he, it's, it's not how he operates. So he's not going to be that big time team leader from a vocal standpoint. You know, I think where I lean toward that and it's putting some pressure on him, but I think he can handle it. Is Calvin Harris. He, he switches from first base outfield to catcher. He's a boisterous guy. He plays hard. If anything, he plays too hard. He, he, he doesn't stay healthy sometimes because he doesn't know anything other than all out every single day, every single thing. It's just, it's just what he does. He's got to stay healthy behind the plate, but I think given his position, the emphasis that that staff puts on the catching position to be a leader, they got that with Dunhurst last year. I think that he's the one that maybe fills some of that gap, even though it's not going to look like Elko. But I think I think there's an importance there for sure with uh, with him. And then you know, do, do you get a little more of a leadership step out of somebody like Kemp Alderman, who's going to have should have a really good career, man, really good year, hit a lot of home runs. Um, and actually, I, he's gotten better behind the plate. Should something happen to Harris, I think Alderman's the backup catcher and will actually be kind of okay back there. It's not a, it, 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 it's not too shabby. No, there, there, there are pieces. Um, there are pieces to them that I like. If they can get the bullpen arms, kind of find it, whether it be you know some of these freshmen, JT Quinn throwing the heck out of it or whomever it is, um, and then just sort of fill in roles. I, I'm eager to see if, if he stays healthy and he's what I think he is. I'm kind of eager to see Ethan Groff in the SEC for a full season. I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, he, he, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Like the American Athletic Conference is not what it was five to seven years ago, but it's still a, a very good league, talented players. Um, and he really was on another level offensively. Really good athlete, probably going to play center field. Um, which says something because Ole Miss has other guys who could theoretically play center field. So they don't, they don't have to just shove him into center field. Um, so he, he's that, like, I think he's going to be a real catalyst. He's got some, some pop in his bat. Um, not as much pop as Calarco, like in a raw power sense, sure. because that, that's going to be what Calarco does. Like that's, that's, you know, he's, he's raw power. And I think just by virtue of not playing games in the big 10, I think is going to be helpful for, for him. I mean, <laughs> they're playing a lot of road games. They're playing a lot of games in really crappy weather. 
Um, so that, that's tough. Um, but it turns out Northwestern had some talent. They've got transfers, all, and I, I won't name them all because hmm. I'll forget somebody, but they've got five or six guys who are transferring to other major programs. And so that was a probably missed opportunity there for Northwestern. But regardless, um, yeah, I think Groff's going to be an exciting guy. And I think he's a guy who can kind of make things. Um, let me back up. You talked about last year. I remember hearing you talk on, on your show about there for a while, the offense got really stagnant and it was just mm-hmm. like, they would, they would score four runs and it was two solo home runs and a two run Homer. And he's the type of guy and, and shot this guy too, but um, he's the type of guy that keeps your offense from getting stagnant because he's not swinging from the heels. He's got some speed. He can make things happen on the bases. He can push the issue. Like he's not just going to go up there trying to do, to do one thing. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. Just kind of curious here. I know I've kept you probably longer than you expected. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up, but um, Ole Miss's non-con is interesting. They play a lot of big 10 games. They actually play, Maryland four weekend games in a row. They've got them in Oxford for three and they're going to Minnesota and they open up with Maryland there as well. A team that obviously had a resurgent year last year uh, as well. What are we making out of Maryland and then anything to either Purdue or La Tech as well in that non-con? I know you're SEC now, but just kind of curious. No, no, we're, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really good schedule. First of all, are you, um, early but are you planning on going to that tournament in minneapolis yeah i want to see it i, I was there I, I went there when they used to do the dairy queen classic in the metrodome and i kind of want to okay. see the baseball in u.s bank so yeah just because it's of the wild. novelty of playing there i kind of want to go it's wild like i went there in 20 <laughs> i guess it would have been 18 maybe 18 mm-hmm. it was the year minnesota was really good like super regional good so 18 and um it's pretty wild like uh the press area because it's a football stadium is like on the surface of the moon, you know, it's like, it's just oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Are way up there. Um, but it's a cool deal. Like it, it, you know, I recommend it. It's, but it is, it's wild. Like it's, it's kind of a strange setup, but uh, regardless, um, but you know, it's, it's a good non-con schedule. Maryland is really good. Um, we've got them. What are they? 13 in the preseason, big 10 favorites. And for me, it's not really close uh, in the big 10 um rotation is is really good uh nick dean jason savacool uh savacool is the 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 prospecty name to know there it's it's a hard like turbo sinker like mid 90s turbo sinker kind of guy it's an sec type arm he would be pitching on the weekends for you know choose your sec team really outside of a couple he would he would be there so and the other thing is they've got a really um just a really old physical offense they don't they've got one one guy matt shaw who like lit up the Cape Cod league over the summer and is probably going to be a first round pick. Uh, he's our shortstop and hits for some power. He can run. Um, he's a good athlete. Like he doesn't necessarily, he's not like a super rangy, like he's, you know, maybe like five ten, five eleven, like, like stocky. Um, so he doesn't look like super fluid, but he, he does the job there. Um, but outside of him, like it is a lot of really strong, physical guys who just hit the ball really hard. They've got a grad transfer from Bryant, who was their conference player of the year last year. They've got a, you know, Luke Schleiger, their catcher, who's a little bit prospecty in his own right. He runs well for a catcher, like takes a, a bunch of walks, like has some power. It's just a, just a really tough lineup one through nine. And and I saw them in the fall in a fall game against Virginia. And it's just on another level from what you see in the big 10 these days now Michigan's had some good teams obviously they came one one way from national title but this to me talent wise is just on a on a level above what you see in that in that conference at this point so you know Ole Miss is not going to be able to even at home just kind of show up and and expect to be able to dominate that series and so I will actually uh, be in town for that one so I'm looking forward to that oh, yeah. Um, yeah 
Purdue don't know what to expect. Purdue is on the come a little bit. They kind of had a big rebuilding job the last couple of years. You may remember last year they got off to something like a 17 and 0 start or mm-hmm. 20 and 0 start or something. And it was, I don't want to say fraudulent, that's too strong, but they played nobody. <laughs> um, which is not to say they weren't good. They were they were just they were pretty good, but they weren't great. So that that's more of a something I think Ole Miss should be able to on talent be able to handle that a little more routinely. Um, and law tech, like Lane Burroughs really has that program going. Um, they're starting to dabble a little more in the, in the transfer portal in a way that I think is they've typically been a JC program, you know, program that kind of recruits JC mm-hmm. they are dabbling in the transfer portal now. And it's real guys. Like they got Raleigh Hector, who was a big recruit for A&M a couple of years ago. Uh, Brody Drost is probably a name that, you know, from LSU, right. he's there now. Um, and they're another team that like, I look at their roster every year and do that thing where I'm like, how is he still in college? Like they've got five or seven of those guys, um, including their uh, Friday guys, a guy named Jonathan Fisher, who's like a, I don't mean to be mean about it, but he's kind of a bad body left-hander <laughs> with yeah, like yeah. just okay stuff, you know? Um, but is like just really competitive and throws a ton of strikes and, and they're, they're tough. Like that, that's a team that's probably an at-large type team. I mean, whether they win the auto bid in the league or not, like they're probably going to be an at-large team. And let's not forget it was a program that hosted a regional two years ago. It's kind of easy to forget now because they didn't win that regional, um, win that regional but uh you know hosted a couple years ago and that's kind of the they're not i don't think they're that good again but that's kind of what this program is operating from now yeah you've got that in the non-con and then at Ole Miss the the very end of the schedule the last four weeks are relatively easy going on an sec level but Ole Miss at Vanderbilt Florida at A&M Arkansas at state LSU the first six weeks of uh, sec play so quite the uh quite the first 18 in the uh in, in the sec there for the uh the Rebels. Uh, this was awesome. Love to do it as we uh, keep the season going and get here February 17th, Ole Miss and Delaware. Uh, as we said, new things going with D1 Baseball. So uh, for the for people interested in the SEC Extra, we've got a lot of D1 Baseball guys, SEC Extra guys. Where can they find that? What do they need to do? Yeah, just uh, D1Baseball.com. You know, hit that subscribe link. Uh, you can use the code SAVE23 to get you 20% off. Uh, so please do that. Uh, monthly subscription, yearly subscription, whatever works for you works for me. Um, you know, I, like I said, we're, we're going to try some stuff this year. We're going to throw some stuff out there and just throw things against the wall to see what sticks metaphorically speaking. Um, so I can't promise you what we will be, what all we'll be doing, but I can promise you, we're going to work really, really hard to try to bring the most comprehensive coverage of sec baseball that we can. And we're willing to, uh, to have some fun stuff to, to try. This is going to be, we're hoping to cover college baseball in a way that it's really never been covered before, which I know is lofty, but it's, it's a sport that's growing. So there's a lot of stuff that just hasn't been tried. So we're going to, we're going to go out there and try it. So if you, um, if you want to jump on board with us, we'd really, really appreciate it again. Just go to D one baseball.com, hit the sec extra tab and, and you'll be right there. Awesome stuff. Really appreciate it. Look forward to uh, all the work and let's, uh, let's talk again. Appreciate it, Chase. That was uh, Chase Parham, Joe Healy of D1Baseball.com. That does it for this edition of Hand Raise Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Again, this will be the uh, Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. Our thanks to Jeff Johnson of OStateIllustrated.com. Also to Joe Healy for his time uh, tonight on the show. We will uh, be back on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. We'll recap uh, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State basketball, and of course we'll recap Championship Sunday. It's the Niners at the Eagles, the Bengals at the Chiefs. Should be a really fun day of NFL football on Sunday. We'll have recruiting coverage over the course of the weekend. We'll have some um, 
recruiting wrap-up stuff on Monday as we get closer to the second and uh, very secondary signing day on Wednesday. So for Chase Parham, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for Hand Raise, guys. We will talk to you on Monday morning with another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Until then, have a great weekend. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.